So if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to take them out. Uh, Turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. That's where we're going to be. And we're talking this morning about distractions. Anybody struggle with distractions? Okay, awesome, awesome, awesome. I want you to look at your neighbor, tap them, and say we're talking about distractions, because I don't think they heard that. Okay. Tell them, you can't distract me today. I'm going to try to pay attention. Okay. Nehemiah. Yeah. Nehemiah chapter 6. When's the last time you were distracted? I'm distracted right now. Yeah, what are we talking about? Where are we? So, uh, I, was, I was looking this up this week uh, while you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 6. How about this? An average, okay, an average. Now, I don't know if you want to be a below average or above average here, but on average, 2.1 hours a day are lost as a result of distractions. Now, let's think about that for a minute, because I mean, two, two hours a day scrolling through the phone, two hours a day handling that, that coworker that just walks in your office all the time and you just secretly wish they would get a life. Um, and uh, anyway, um, but, but, but you know, that's, that's not a big deal. But when you think about the value of time today, two hours is a lot of time. Two hours is a lot of time. The average time spent on a task before we get distracted, so get this, people, people are saying on average they're distracted every 11 minutes. So about 11 minutes of time, some of you are like, man, I, I, could, I could go with 11 minutes right now, right? I can go with 11 minutes. It's interesting we're talking about distractions the Sunday after February vacation because some of you parents are like, I haven't had 11 minutes to myself in nine days, 10 days, right? Uh, and so 11 minutes sounds amazing. I could get so much sleep in 11 minutes, <laughs> right? And so uh, the amount of time, but here, here's the kicker, right? The amount of time it takes to return to a task after a distraction is an average of 25 minutes. Average of 25 minutes, right? So you're working, it's awesome, and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, 11 minutes goes by and you're distracted, right? You're distracted. Then it takes you tw- 25 minutes after that distraction to get back in the flow. So you're doing really, really well. Let me summarize this up. You're doing really, really well if you get 20 minutes of focused time an hour, right? Because of so many distractions. Now, I'm not just talking about cell phone. I'm talking about kids. I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about our thoughts because so many of us are trying to manage and handle way too many thoughts in this brain that we weren't meant to, we weren't intended to. And so, and so I'm not just talking about, right, the social media. I'm not, you know, some of you are like, oh, here we go, you know, we can get rid of my phone, right? Just throw it, you know, like I'm, I'm not just talking about, I wasn't going to hit you, Jeannie. <laughs> right? No, I don't want it back. I didn't mean to do that, though. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, right? But I'm, I'm not just talking about that. It's everything, right? It's the thought life. It's, 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 it's our children. It's our, it's our spouses. It's every, it's every area. Yes, I just said that your spouse could be a distraction. Right? I don't look to this corner of the room. 
a lot of times when I preach because my spouse is so beautiful that she would just take all the thoughts away. Why are y'all laughing? So let's, let's catch ourselves up. Let's, let's look. God has called Nehemiah to make a difference, right? What's he doing? He's building a wall, right? He's rebuilding a wall, okay? And when Nehemiah was confronted with the conditions in Jerusalem, he knew that God was calling him home to build a wall. Selflessly, we talked about that last week, being selflessly, all of those things that God has called him to rebuild the wall. And so today, we're going to talk about three distractions that keep us from completing what God's called us to. Okay? Three distractions that we've got to silence so that we can accomplish what God has placed right in front of us. Sound good? Three, and then three application points, and then a really good closing, and then we'll be done. Sound good? All right, so let's look at the first four verses, Nehemiah chapter 6. Now in Samballot, remember Samballot a couple chapters ago was the one that really was trying to discourage Nehemiah by just asking questions, right? By just asking questions, okay? And, and, so, and now when Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, there was no hole left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Verse 2, Samballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at at the H place in the plain of Ono. Okay, and I'm going to say Ono for for a reason. But they intended to do me harm. Verse 3, And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. How many of you know sometimes you just got to set boundaries on people that just want to drain your time and criticize you and be negative and distract you? Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Verse 4, And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. I answered them in the same manner. Now, the first distraction that we've got to deal with, and I believe we could sum all distractions up in these three distractions this morning, but the first distraction that we've got to deal with is a lack of sincerity. Nehemiah read right through what Samballat and Tobiah were trying to do. They were trying to get him to come down. They were, they were, they were, they were discerning, uh, Nehemiah was discerning about those that suddenly acted like friends because all of a sudden Nehemiah had done what he said he was going to do and people wanted to be his friend. You know those people, right? All of a sudden you found a little bit of success. I'm still trying to find the person that won the, the mega millions a few weeks ago because I've got a plan for them. I've got a vision. And I don't need it all. I just need a fraction, right? Let me talk to that person. I would love to be that person's friend all of a sudden. I don't, I don't know who, right? Have they even come forward? It doesn't matter. Okay. Don't tempt me with that, okay? But when we see Sam Ballin, Tobiah, and Geshem have changed tactics here, now that the wall is almost finished, the doors just need to go on, they have resorted to friendliness and persuasion. Though we're not told directly, Though we're not told directly here, it could, it could be that they said things like this, come meet us. We want to get a milkshake and celebrate together. Right? Come meet us. We just want to celebrate 
together. Let's meet together and discuss the subjects, discuss the ideas that would be of benefit to all of us. And Nehemiah sees right through it. He sees it for what it is. They were trying to lure him away from Jerusalem. They were trying to get him to go to the H place, okay, Hakafirim, so that they could distract him and lure him away from completing the work that God had called him to do. They were attempting to get him away from his colleagues. They were attempting to get away from his team. They were attempting to get him closer to enemy territory. But you have to admire him. Because when it comes to uh, the invitation of going to Ono, he says, oh no to Ono. I've been waiting all week to say that. And I'm so happy that I got it right on the first time. Oh, man, that was good. But then he explains to them why he can't buy into the distraction of going to Ono. Right? He has to explain to them. He explains to them why he won't come. He says, he says I'm doing a great work here. Right? I'm doing a great work here. I have a great calling, which we talked about a few weeks ago. That, that is so huge is to know not only that you're valuable in the place that you're, that you're in, right? but that you're still called to be there. That there's still work for you to do. That there's still something for you to accomplish. And then, and then he, he reminds them, God has given me this project. God has given me this project, which is going to be huge for us in just a few moments. Nehemiah keeps his focus and remembers his priorities. Right? He keeps his focus and remembers his priorities. You see, we need to understand that to come down is a step down. Right? For him to go down would be for him to step down. Nehemiah understands that to come off of the wall would be outside of the will of God. His job is too big for him to come down. Besides, their sincerity wasn't real. And he saw right through it. Their sincerity wasn't real, and he saw right through it. They were going to harm him, not help him. They were going to tear him down, not build him up. And so we don't know how he knows exactly to deny these four invitations, but he has the discernment to see through their plot. And Nehemiah demonstrates to us that not everyone and not every opportunity is heaven sent. Let's look at verses 5 through 9. You guys okay? All right, good. So we got the lack of sincerity. Number two, in the same way, Samballot for the fifth time, he just isn't going to give up, is he? For the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter. Now we're going to talk about that, but underline that, star that in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is, why are you rebuilding the wall? And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Listen, the next time somebody falsely accuses you, I challenge you, memorize verse 8. And just repeat that. No such things as you say 
have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Can you imagine how infuriating that is to Sam Ballot to hear? Because there is nothing more infuriating for a distractor than to be called out on their distracting. Verse 9. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands, he says. The second distraction we've got to talk about is a lack of accuracy. Anybody ever lied about you? Anybody ever questioned your intention? Anybody ever questioned your credibility? Anybody? And, and, and it's, so, it's so painful, isn't it? It's so painful, right? Not only questioning your credibility, but your ability. It's tough. It's tough. We must realize, we talked about this last Sunday, we can't expect a lost world to act saved. We've got to realize that the truth is not always going to be told. Let me say that again. We've got to realize the truth is not always going to be told. As painful as that is, as hurtful as it feels when it happens, as much, as much as everything in you wants to jump to defense and go to war with the liar and justify yourself, the truth is not always going to be told. And we would do better to embrace that reality at times than to fight. Because what did we talk about last week? Our God will what? Fight for us. Our God will fight for us. The truth is not always going to be told. When the enticement to come away from Jerusalem doesn't work... The true motives of Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem are exposed. And so this time, they're trying to get the rumor mill going. They send an unsealed letter. Now, this means that as it makes its way to Nehemiah, anybody could read it. Are you that person? Right? Are you that person? You're so eager to see what you know, so-and-so got in the mail, and so you, you just happened to open it. Oh, my bad. I thought it was addressed to me. Liar. You were just nosy. And that's okay. Sometimes you're a lot. Anyway, that's something you got to work out in marriage counseling. But they send an unsealed letter so that anybody could read it. And in this letter, they question his integrity as a leader. Because what are they, what are they saying? You're rebuilding this wall for your own game because you're just trying to be king. You've structured things back. You've structured things back where you came from in Judah so that you could have some profits there so that you, when you rebuild this wall, could go back and say, look what I did, and they make you king. We already have a king, they tell him. And Nehemiah's like, listen, under no circumstances did I ever intend this rebuilding of the wall to be a thing so that I could become king. I'm just doing what God asked me to do. I'm just doing what God asked me to do. And we might laugh at the silliness of this thought, but the problem is that this approach works to distract, to dismantle, to confuse, and to infuriate a lot of us. 
is that when someone questions the accuracy of our story, the accuracy of our testimony, the accuracy of our motives, it gets to us. It gets to us. Sometimes for years. Sometimes for years. In fact, I would be willing to bet in a room this size that there are some of us that are battling bitterness because of a situation similar to Nehemiah's right here in chapter 6. Bitterness. That it has turned from hurt to bitterness. I know I've battled it many times. I had a, I had a leader tell me one time, it's okay to preach hurt. It's not okay to preach bitter. And I've towed that line before. I've towed that line before. And so I know the battle, the inward struggle that this can cause in the life of the believer when you, because, because it's damaging to the testimony, isn't it? It's damaging to the testimony. So we might laugh at the silliness of the thought, but it works. People tend to believe the worst about others, and especially their leaders. People are so skeptical about other people that when they finally hear something that that could be potentially dirt on them or on their motives, oh, that makes sense. That's why you're so nice. Or that's why you're this way. Right? That's why you're this way. Oh, that. Oh, that's why. Right? It makes sense. It makes sense. And so, over and over and over again, people read the news that Nehemiah is essentially here leading a revolution. Right? He just wants to be king. He's just going to get everyone in trouble, and Artaxerxes will come down and destroy the place. And it must have been very hard for Nehemiah to hear these accusations because all he's doing is doing what God called him to do. He's lived with integrity, and then he's accused of the very opposite. The very thing he's not doing. And so what is Nehemiah going to do about these distractions? Well, I'm glad you asked. We learn here that when it comes to arguments, we've got to be disciplined. We've got to be disciplined. And, and, and just want to go super practical here. Saying less in an argument, saying less in a situation like this is more. Knowing that the Lord will fight for you. I'm not asking you, I'm not telling you, I'm not preaching from Scripture this morning that you should be a coward. No, it's, it's humility. It's recognizing that our need for God is so great that He will fight our battles for us. We realize that when we're making a difference for the Lord, we'll be criticized. Our motives will be questioned. Our intentions will be scrutinized. When the criticism comes, it is most tempting to take the time to defend our integrity, isn't it? It's tempting to spend a lot of emotional strength arguing for our case, but we must learn, however, to take it in stride and to not say too much, if anything at all, because... God's will will prevail. That's not, that's not prosperity gospel. That's claiming the promises of God. That God's will will prevail. And then the hardest, potentially the hardest thing I'll say today, for me, is that in this, we've got to learn to let time and patience do their work. I can't stand being patient. But we've got to let time and patience do 
their work. For when we do, the worst accusations are seen for what they are, and those who have perpetrated them will be discredited. Nehemiah knew this open letter and its accusations were ridiculous, and so he didn't let it shake him. And so we've got to look to the source of our strength because he knows who can handle it. So, lack of sincerity, not trusting, seeing through the motive, lack of accuracy, someone questioning our, 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 our intentions, our abilities, that type of thing. And then the last distraction that we see here comes from verses 10 through 14. You still with me? All right, good. A few of you left. How many of you are distracted right now? Okay. Verse 10. Now when I, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of um, Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Sleep well, Nehemiah. But I said, should such a, a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Verse 12, and I understood and saw that God had, sent, God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Verse 13, for this purpose, that doesn't this just sound like a TV drama? Yeah. Okay. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. The third distraction is intimidation. Intimidation. And in this text, Nehemiah sees right through it. This person that's telling him, hey, we, you can't go into the temple. If you go into the temple, they're going to kill you at night. Right? Subtle. Okay? And you, we can't. And, and so what they're trying to do, and, and, and Nehemiah sees right through it, he was hired to go and, and, and try to convince Nehemiah to stay out because they're so scared of what might happen if Nehemiah accomplishes what God wants to do through him. Let me tell you, this lines right up with you today. There's an enemy who is so fearful and scared of what might actually happen if God accomplishes through you what he wants to accomplish through you. It's huge. It's huge. And so we must not, we learn here that we must not fall for fear of intimidation. How do we fight that? In order to not fall in the fear of intimidation, we've got to know exactly who we are in Christ. We've got to know, we've got to know, listen to me family, I want this more than anything for you to know that you are a beloved son and daughter of God. That while you were yet sinner, which means while you were yet broken, God saw you, knew you, knew you before you were even a, a, right, knit together in your mother's womb. I was going to say a, 
a speck or sparkle in your, whatever. (laughs) Knit together, that's better, it's biblical. Knit together in your mother's womb. He saw you and wanted you. And wanted you. And so loved you that he sent Jesus, his one and only son, that if we would just believe in him, we would not perish, but send eternity, spend eternity in heaven for him, with him. John 14, I've gone to pre- I'm going to prepare a place for you, Jesus says, as he's, as he's on his way to the cross. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, why would I have told you so? There's a place prepared for you. And in order to fight these distractions, in order to stay steady in these distractions, we've got to know, we've got to know exactly who we are. Which in order to know who we are, we've got to know exactly whose we are. And as sons and daughters of God in the room, we are His beloved, in whom He is well pleased. And if you want to know about the Father heart of God, just go read uh, the book of 1 John, where it talks about how a, a good father gives good gifts to the ones he loves. And so, that's how we battle. We must not give in to fear. We're to evaluate situations on the basis of what, excuse me, we're not to evaluate situations on the basis of what bad thing might happen. Instead, and obedience, discern exactly what God has called us to do. So, how do we apply this to our lives? I'm glad you asked. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, so the wall was finished. Everybody say it was finished. finished. On the 25th day of the month Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, All the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had not been accomplished with the help of our God. The mission was accomplished. Because throughout the first five and a half chapters here, we see distraction, we see opposition, we see so many things trying to come up against Nehemiah, but he stayed steady, he stayed faithful, he stayed obedient, and the mission was accomplished. 52 days. 52 days. Not only was it accomplished, it was done with amazing speed. During the heat of summer, it was so miraculous that even the enemies had to agree that God was at work among them. In the heat of summer, 52 days. Second thing, not only was the mission accomplished, but we must walk with courage to stay steady. Walk with courage to stay steady. They spoke of his good deeds, verse 19 says. They spoke of his good deeds in the presence and reported my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. Now listen, the mission was accomplished. He, he walked with courage. He stayed, he, he stayed steady. But the naysayers are still sending letters. And you know what Nehemiah is saying? By staying steady? Let them write. The Greek there means haters going to hate. I don't think that's what the Greek really means, okay? I just want to be clear. So what does that mean for us? Persist. 
so that you might finish well. Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Paul is testifying to finishing well. And my question for you this morning, do you have the courage to keep steady and finish the wall God's given you? Some of you need to define the wall. Because some of you have sat and said, you know what, I can build the whole wall. And the reason you're so distracted is you're not staying focused on a section of the wall. You're trying to build the whole flipping thing. Stop. Discern which piece of the wall God is having you build and build it. And build it well. And when you complete that section, if, if, if Stan next to you needs help, then help him finish his side of the wall. Right? If Rob and Amy's story need help with their section of the wall, go, go, go help them. They would probably struggle with the top of that wall. Okay? I'll be over. Okay? But discern which section of the wall God is calling you to complete. And complete it. And complete it. I am convinced that so many of us are stressed out, burned out, and distracted because we're trying to do too many pieces of the wall. And we've gotten so numb to it that it's no longer a season of distraction. It's no longer a season of fatigue. It's just life. And then we're just trying to find ways to cope with it. Which gives us more vices. Do you see the whirlwind that this creates? Do you see the tornado that this creates? Are you sick of it yet? Stop. See, this is the piece that God has called me to. I'm going to complete it, and I'm going to complete it well. In chapter 7, I just want to point your attention there. It's not, it's not going to be on the screen. Okay? I feel like the Lord gave me this this morning to, to, to wrap this up. So we're landing the plane. Is that all right? It's early. I got like 15 minutes. And Danny even talked. Mark talked. I got so much time. Sorry, distraction. Okay. Now listen. Chapter 7. Just listen to this. If you have your Bible open, you can, you can follow along there. But chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are, st and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and the, and the bar, excuse me, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard post and some in front of of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Now, I want you to see what freedom we have this morning. We don't have to shut the gates and bar the doors behind us when we come into church. Right? But because of the threats and because of what they were dealing with, they were trying to protect what they had built here. Then, 
God put it on Nehemiah's heart, verse 5, to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And so then we get one of these places in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the Gospels, we see it, where names are mentioned, numbers are mentioned. And they're so important because if we had time to unpack each and every name here, and we don't, 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 don't worry, okay, don't worry. But you would see significance and how each and every one of these lines up with the importance of Jesus. And so while these may seem tedious, and if you're in the book of Numbers right now in, in, in our reading plan, you know you can't wait for Deuteronomy next week. It gets better. Okay? You know, right? But all Nehemiah is doing here is he's remembering the victory of the Lord. Have you, have you ever gone through something, right? And, and maybe, maybe you're sitting here, right? Think, think about a time that was really important to you, really valuable to you, right? A wedding, or, or maybe, maybe a time that was really important to you, a funeral service or something like that, or graduation, or, or, um, or, or, or a regional championship basketball game, Right? And you just and you sit and you, and and you just you recount in your mind who was there. And some and some people will even go back and journal, right? And they'll write down the names of who was there. Elizabeth, I was there last night. Kristen, the kids, Grandy, the Marquis were there. So just so you know, as you're writing down this afternoon, who was all there last night? Just if you need help, let me know. I'll 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 remind you who was there. Pete and Danny were there. Luke. Anyway, right. But what he's doing here is he's being intentional and celebratory at the work that God had done. Now, no one ever gets to the other side of a miracle, and and years and years later thought to themselves, man, it was so pointless to write that down. It was so pointless to, it was so pointless to celebrate that in that way. No, when you find something that has been lost or when you find something that's been shoved away for years and years and years and you open it, what happens? There's so much joy as you're looking at those pictures and, and, and granted, maybe some sadness as you remember, right, as you look at some of those pictures and maybe, maybe, maybe things were different back then. Maybe somebody was around back then that's not around anymore, right? We've got a chest and, and, uh, and, and, and sometimes I'll, I'll go down and look in the chest and my shooter shirt from high school is in the chest. So I just like to try it on every now and then just to remember how small I was back 20 plus years ago, right? See if I can still fit in the thing. I can't. Right? But what Nehemiah is doing here is he's saying, this was so valuable. This was so important. And we see this all throughout Scripture, the stone of remembrance. So what I encourage you to do is as you, as you walk through moments in life where you're super faithful, where you're obedient, where you see the victory of God, document it. Who was there? Who did this? And that's what we get to do so often. I mean, a couple weeks ago, Mindy stands up here and celebrates a time last June where God worked a miracle in her life. Katie being here this morning, 11 weeks ago, so 
11 weeks and one day ago, we prayed over Katie going into surgery, right? We get to celebrate that. I will remember that for a long time, right? We get to celebrate what God's doing in young life. We get to celebrate Summit Church. We just celebrated five years ago, or five years. We just celebrated five years old, right? We're, we're, we're an annoying toddler right now as a church. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you so proud? Right? Write it down. Because as we read those things, as we read those things, it reminds us to stay faithful again. And that's what Scripture is. As we read the stories like Nehemiah, it inspires us to be faithful today, just like these people were. It inspires us to be obedient. It inspires us to discern what area of the wall we're called to work on and do it. Not to mention, to let people talk, to let them doubt, to let them feel however they're going to feel about my insincerity, accuracy, try to intimidate. It gives us the strength to stand on the promises of God that we are His beloved and that He will fight for us. Worship team is going to come this morning. And we're going to pray together. And I just, I just, I'm just loving the book of Nehemiah. I don't know about you. For, some, for those of you that have been distracted for the last 30 minutes, but now you're clued back in because the worship team's just now coming up, and you're like, okay, we're ending. Right? The message was really good today, and I encourage you to go back and listen to it online. It's about distractions. Squirrel. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, you know what, Pastor? I'm distracted. I'm trying to do too much. That person at work is questioning my abilities and my credibility. People are trying to spread falsehoods about... Whatever it is this morning, if you're sitting here today and you say, you know what, I'm distracted from the goodness of God. I just want to pray for you today. Will you pray with me? God, today, I pray that as we leave here, as we go back to our lives, as we step back out, as we re-engage with with our families and friends, as we do whatever's next here. God, I pray that we would walk in your goodness. I pray that we would walk in your love. I pray that you would bring awareness to the areas where we're trying to build and we have no sense in building. The areas of the wall where we're trying to polish, and they've already been polished and they look just fine to the places where we feel like we're trying to meet needs that are not ours to meet. God, help us to stay in our lane, the lane which you've called us to, the place where you want us to be obedient first. Reignite a passion to be faithful with the things right in front of us. And so I pray against distractions. I pray that the integrity of the people in this room 
would be such that it can never be questioned. Where if people brought up accusations, the response would just be to laugh and say, nope, that's not my friend. That's not my brother. That's not my sister. And so God, I pray that you would give us the strength at times to sit. The strength to exercise patience and silence. To not get too frustrated or too passive, but to be right in line with where you would have us to be for today, for the moment. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen.